Would you turn with me to John chapter 3? John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. John 3, verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you speak to us wonderful and eternal truths in your holy scriptures. They are profitable for us to equip us with the aim that we would be complete. So I pray that you would use this word to propel us forward to, because, to, to get us much, that much closer to becoming the complete person in Jesus Christ. Help us to receive your word. Help me as I seek to walk through this passage. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. We pray that you would encourage your people through this message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we we are in John chapter three. In John chapter three is uh, familiar to many of us. 
mainly because of John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What a glorious and wonderful passage, right? We, even, even non-believers are familiar with that passage. But as wonderful and as glorious as that passage is, we tend to kind of forget John 3, verses 1 through 5, 1 through 15, right? John 3, 16, and what comes after it kind of tends to overshadow what happens in verses 1 through 15, which is the passage we're walking through this morning, right? But this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, I think if we, if we try to understand it and think hard about it, can actually enhance our understanding of John 3.16 and following. Because this is a conversation between individuals, and in this conversation, we're kind of, a, we're kind of flies on a wall where we kind of get to listen in into this private conversation. And in this conversation, there are deep and profound uh, truths that are being talked about here. And if, and if we listen, and I hope, my prayer is that if we listen carefully, that when we get to John 3.16 next week, that it'll enhance our understanding of John 3.16 and following, and hopefully result in our glorifying the Lord because of what He said in verses 1 through 15, and because now, hopefully, our understanding will become that much better when we get to the next section next week. So this passage begins with a conversation, right? And this is, so as we're walking through this conversation, we'll see some opening remarks, and then that leads to an excellent question, and then it ends with a clarifying conclusion. So first, the opening remarks. The, best, the, the, the passage begins with a brief introduction to Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus is described as a ruler of the Jews, and meaning that he is what, he not only was he a Pharisee, but he was, there was sort of a, a more prominent group among the Pharisees, and he was among those. And Pharisees, as most of us know, if you read through the gospel, Pharisees had a notorious reputation, right? They were overbearing upon the people of God, and uh, Jesus called them oftentimes hypocrites. But here, Nicodemus shows us that not all Pharisees were bad, without exception. Not all Pharisees were out to get Jesus. Nicodemus, at the very least, shows enough interest in Jesus to seek him out and have this private audience with Jesus. And I find it interesting that here in the beginning of the Gospel of John, right, we're only into chapter 3, and aside from the disciples, here is somebody who is seeking Jesus out. And some, I find, and this is interesting, at least to me anyway, some will actually see Nicodemus as a counterpart to Judas, to, to Judas right, while Nicodemus is in the dark and he gradually makes his way into the light. Judas, on the other hand, is in the light, but gradually makes his way out of the light and into the darkness. It says, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the cover of the night, not knowing that his own heart is actually shrouded in darkness. And if you're familiar with the passage, if you've read through this passage before, maybe you have heard in the past that maybe one of the reasons why Nicodemus seeks Jesus out in the cover of the night is because he was afraid of being found out by his fellow Pharisees, of being found out that, you know, what are you doing, Nicodemus, you know, conversing with, with Jesus, that might be the case. I'm not entirely sure it is. I think one of the reasons maybe why Nicodemus seeks Jesus by night 
in the, in the cover of the night in private is because Jesus at this point was publicizing his ministry where he's performing miraculous signs. And so during the day, he was surrounded by people. And so if you want to have a private conversation one-to-one with Jesus, then you would probably be wise to do it at night when people are gone at home preparing for bed, preparing supper. Only then can you get Jesus alone. And for our sake, I'm glad that, there's this, that this conversation happens, and that this conversation is actually written for us in the Scriptures because there are wonderful things embedded in this conversation that we need to understand when it comes to salvation. So after this brief introduction to Nicodemus, Nicodemus then, according to his, his own interpretation, introduces the second person in this conversation, who is Jesus. And he describes Jesus as a teacher sent from God and with whom God is with. And that's pretty powerful, right? To see that this individual standing before you is somebody who is sent by God and God is with him, evidenced by these miraculous signs that Jesus is doing. You could even say that Jesus is a prophet, right? Because prophets were sent by God. God was with the prophets and prophets also performed signs. Now, why Jesus, why Nicodemus doesn't go so far as to call him a prophet, I'm not sure, but he at, very, at the very least calls him a teacher, which shows that he comes to Jesus in order to, to learn from, teacher, from, from Jesus, right? He calls him rabbi, which means teacher. So he's seeking to learn from a more learned teacher. And Nicodemus begins the conversation by saying, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus then responds by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that statement is shocking for at least two reasons. First, if you take it literally, right, how in the world can a person be born again, which is the way that Nicodemus took it? Hence why Nicodemus asked for clarification, and we get that clarification later on. But secondly, this statement would have been shocking to Nicodemus because of his understanding of the kingdom, namely with regards to, to citizenship. The kingdom of God is not a new concept introduced in the New Testament, but rather it's clarified in the New Testament. So when God created the heavens and the earth and, and, and created man to multiply and fill and subdue the earth for his glory, that was not God seeking to establish his kingdom, but rather only he's seeking to extend his kingdom. And then when man failed to live up to the purposes of God that were created for God or by God, right, that wasn't the end of God's kingdom. God's true kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that we don't really see on this side of earth, on this side of life. And the Old Testament makes clear that God has his own kingdom. For example, in Exodus 15, 18, it says that the Lord will reign forever. Or when the psalmist writes in Psalm 1016, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Right? A king has a kingdom. If you don't have a kingdom, then what are you the king of? Psalm 29.10 tells us that the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. That means that there is no beginning and there is no end, that the Lord is king. But what we have are two competing kingdoms. That is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And through Christ, God means to reclaim the earth and graft it back into his eternal kingdom. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Right, that's talking about Jesus, that Jesus comes into the world, not just as God, not just as human, but he comes as king. The kingdom of God is an Old Testament concept, but we don't get the full expression of it until we get into the New Testament when the king actually enters into the world. And this passage actually helps, gives to us a, a clarification of the kingdom, specifically with regards to citizenship. In Jesus' day, in his day, the predominant Jewish thought was that the Jews, including those who are Gentile proselytes or proselytized Gentiles, that, that they are automatic citizens of the kingdom of God, with the exception of those who are guilty of, of grievous sins or who are guilty of apostasy. But here, Jesus is saying that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, including you, Nicodemus. Although you are a Jew, although you are a teacher of God's people, you also must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. It's not automatic. And then that leads to an excellent question. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Right, it's not a stupid question. It might seem like it to us if you haven't read through the Gospels and knowing the answer, but it really is a good question. Jesus, how can a grown man be born again in order to see the kingdom of God? In a way, it might be easier if we could, right? If we messed up our lives, if we made shipwreck of our lives, if we did something terrible or awful, it might be easier if we could just simply make ourselves be reborn again and that way start with a, flesh, uh, a fresh, clean slate, right? But we know that it's not possible. Jesus then clarifies what he means. He answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Water and Spirit are not two separate ideas, but they're meant to be taken as one comprehensive idea, kind of like the two sides of the same coin. Jesus is talking about cleansing, purification, washing. And water in the Old Testament symbolized a purification, so, for example, in one of the Levitical laws in Numbers 19.17, it reads, For the unclean, they shall take some ashes of the burnt sin offering, and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in water and sprinkle it on the tent and on the, all the furnishings and on the persons who were there, and on whoever touched the bone or the slain or the dead or the grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean on the third day, on the seventh day. Thus, on the seventh day, he shall cleanse him, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and at evening he shall be clean. So anybody who came into contact with a corpse or a carcass, they were considered unclean. And one of the ways of purification was to wash that person with water. And there's also an interesting passage in the book of Ezekiel that actually tells us of this, this, this combination of the water and the spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 25, 
It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and the new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what Jesus is getting at in this conversation is that Entrance in the kingdom, into the kingdom of God, requires a complete purification of sins and a renewal. In one word, a rebirth. Jesus, in the conversation, then continues. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is talking about a supernatural birth. The flesh cannot do this. The flesh can only produce itself and nothing different. Man-made efforts will only produce man-made results. Flesh and blood cannot give you what you need, is what Jesus is saying. 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, or in other words, by our flesh, or the works of the flesh, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So renewal, born again, taken together, all these words describe a total and complete change. In the English language, there is no better word that describes what Jesus is talking about than the word that Titus himself uses in that passage that I just read to you, and that word is regeneration. It's not a metamorphosis, right? Not like the process that a, that a, that a caterpillar goes through in developing itself in a cocoon and then, is, and then becomes a butterfly, right? It's not like when one person, say, is a university professor and then changes careers and becomes uh, an electrician by trade, right? It's not anything like that. It's not even a transformation. Like saying you in those, makeover, uh, those home makeover shows when they take an old, ugly, and decrepit house and they transform it into something beautiful and sleek and modern and habitable, right? It's not that. It's not transformation. It's not change. It's not metamorphosis. It's neither of these words. None of these words describe what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about. And the reason why those words don't, don't fit what Jesus is referring to is because all those words are missing a key element, and that is death. Sure, whatever has been transformed or whatever has been changed might be something completely new or something completely different with uh, new behavior or new tendencies, but fundamentally and structurally, it's still the same thing because whatever that thing is that has been transformed from one thing to another, it hasn't died. In order for something to be regenerated, the old has to die. Some animals, they can regenerate limbs because the limb is either damaged beyond repair or because that, that limb is dead. And so they regenerate a new one in this place. It's not that the old and the new live at the same time, but the old, they, dis, they, dis, they discard and so the new one then begins to live. So that's what we're talking about here. 
The old has to die in order for the new to take place. So when a person is born again, when a person is regenerated by the Spirit of God, it's because the old self is dead and the new one has taken its place. And so Jesus says, you cannot simply become a better person. You have to become someone new in order to gain citizenship into the kingdom of God. Doing good works, making yourself a better person just doesn't cut it. It's not enough for Jesus. John Calvin tells us why regeneration is necessary. He says, but the term born again, he means not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. Hence, it follows that there is nothing in us that is not defective. From our flesh to our minds, to our motives, to our desires, to our ambitions, to our works, there is nothing in us that is not defective because of sin. And that is why you must become a new person. You must be born again. You must be regenerated. And the only way that that can happen is if the old person dies. And that is the work of God. That is why Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In our modern age, we can understand with technology and science, we can understand how the wind works and where it comes from, but back then they didn't. You can't control the wind, you can't see it, you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going, but you can hear it and you can feel it so you know that it is certainly there. So it is with the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. You can't control it, you can't produce it, you can't manufacture it, you can't put programs in place to make this happen. This is all a work of the sovereign Lord. God is the only one who does it. And you know that the Lord is working because you see unbelievers trust in Jesus and then become totally different through Jesus Christ. So that is what Jesus means to be born again. That's what he's saying to Nicodemus, who you are right now, Nicodemus, has to die to give place to the new. And that only comes through the Spirit of God. And then that leads finally to the clarifying conclusion. Nicodemus said to him, continuing in the passage, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe... How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So now the conversation gets a little more personal, and Jesus is confronting Nicodemus' knowledge of the Scriptures. Nicodemus is a teacher of God's people. When people had a question about the Old Testament Scriptures, Nicodemus is somebody that you would go to for answers. So Jesus' expectation is that Nicodemus would know what he's talking about. Because again, Jesus is not introducing something new. He's just clarifying Concepts that are already in the Old Testament scriptures. Passages like the one that I've read to you earlier all allude to this new birth that Jesus is clarifying here in this conversation. In Psalm 51, right, right after King David commits this sin with Bathsheba, gets her pregnant, has her husband killed, and then Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David and he's convicted about his sin, and then he writes Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 just cries out for regeneration. 
Listen to it, Psalm 51, verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David is crying out for a complete renewal. He's asking for his sins to be blotted out, that he will be washed thoroughly and fully. He's crying out for a regeneration. And how about the image of the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37? God says to Ezekiel to prophesy to the dead bones, prophesy to them, speak life into them. And he prophesies to the dead bones, and the dead bones come together the joints and ligaments come together, take on flesh, and become living and breathing beings. That's what recreation looks like. It means that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but we were made alive in Jesus Christ. That is, we were made into new men and women in Christ. And so it is these passages like Ezekiel 7, Psalm 51, and others that Nicodemus should have understood in the kind of the same way that Jesus understood them, but he didn't. So Jesus is not introducing something new. He's clarifying what those passages meant. And at this point, I kind of feel bad for Nicodemus, right? His mind has just been blown, right? You're, you're not getting automatic entrance in the kingdom. You have to be born again. You have to become somebody completely different, somebody new in Jesus Christ. And it's something that you should have already understood and known, but didn't. I would imagine that Nicodemus probably didn't get a wink of sleep that night. He probably went to the scriptures the next day and, and flipped through the manuscripts in order to see what Jesus was talking about. And then Jesus says, if I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how then can you understand the heavenly things? In other words, if you fail to understand the first principles or the fundamentals, then how can you then graduate to the deepest mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? You need to graduate from those fundamentals before you can move on to the big boy stuff. For anyone here this morning that doesn't follow the Lord, you also must understand the fundamentals because they are a matter of life and death. You need to understand that you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God as you are right now, today. Because becoming a better person just doesn't cut it. And according to the Bible, even our good works are filthy rags. Before you can see the kingdom of heaven, you need to first understand that you, that there is sin in your life. And because of that sin, that you are unfit to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Sin and pride keep you from living your life in a way that pleases the Lord. It impedes you from, your, from any desire to follow the Lord and to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so therefore, you need to be born again. But there is hope. You can be born again and accepted into God's eternal kingdom. And that is with the Spirit of God recreating you 
because only the Spirit of God can produce spiritual children of God. But if it is a work of the Spirit of God and we can't produce it, we can't put programs into place to make it happen, we can't manufacture this, then what can you do that the work of the Spirit would take place in your own life? And the answer is in verse 13 and following. The passage says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You have to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to acknowledge him as the Son of God who came to the earth, died on the cross for your sins, and was resurrected for your forgiveness. When you believe in Jesus, there is a heart transformation. You love Christ and you desire to please him in all your ways. And your life is then characterized by a gradual turning away from sin and a gradual walking towards holiness and godliness. That is how you receive eternal life in God's eternal kingdom. What we also see in this last section is Jesus' self-identification. So let me take you back to verse 1 of this section. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's the question. Why does Jesus respond in the way that he does? Right, Jesus, Nicodemus simply says, we know that you're a teacher, come from God because of these miraculous signs. We know that you're sent from God. We know that God is with you. And Jesus responds by saying, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right, there wasn't, Nicodemus didn't ask a question. Jesus just simply went into talking about being born again. And so why did he respond to Nicodemus by talking about regeneration or rebirth? And the answer is found in Nicodemus' description of Jesus. He describes Jesus as a teacher sent from God and with whom God abides. So the point of this entire conversation is not about regeneration, though it is an incredibly important part or point of this conversation, but the point of this conversation is for Jesus to clarify to Nicodemus about his identity. That is why Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There are only two, and when we read the scriptures, there are only two who actually descend from heaven. That is angels or God himself. And when an angel appears, people automatically recognize that they're, what they're looking at is an angel. But I think it's obvious that Jesus is not an angel, so that leaves only one other option. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he is not just a teacher, He's not just a prophet. He's not just this emissary sent by God. But the person that Nicodemus is talking to face to face is none other than God himself. God and the person of the Son descended from heaven and will send back into heaven after his resurrection. This Son is giving Nicodemus this life-changing information that can only come from heaven itself. Further, Jesus says that he must be lifted up, referring to his crucifixion. And it is through the crucifixion that salvation is possible. And he makes a reference to Moses and the, and the bronze serpent in the wilderness. And this is a reference to, Rome, uh, to Numbers 21. And so God's people were in the wilderness and they were complaining 
about God, complaining about Moses, and so God sent uh, these venomous snakes to bite the people. And then God commanded Moses to, to create this bronze serpent, and that anyone who looks at the serpent will be healed and will live. Every single person on the planet has been bitten by the venom of sin. And the only way to be healed and to live is to look to Jesus Christ for salvation. And that is the only way that you can be born again. And what this passage shows is that the identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God cannot be separated from regeneration. A teacher, even one who was sent by God, even with even a teacher who has God abiding with him, cannot pay the penalty for our sins. A prophet who does miraculous signs cannot pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus, the heart of this passage, the heart of this passage, Jesus is telling us that he is the son of God. And that if anyone would want to be born again, they might just recognize that Jesus is the son of God. Right? If we if we don't get the identity of Jesus Christ right, then we don't get the gospel right, and we don't get salvation right. You lose the identity of Jesus Christ, and you lose everything else with it. The only way to be reborn again is to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And so Jesus is his own interpreter, right? Nicodemus has his own interpretation. Based on the signs, Jesus, I deduce that you are a teacher sent from God. But Jesus says, no, I am my own interpreter. Jesus can identify himself better than anybody else. And Jesus says that he is the son of man, that he is the son of God come to earth to take away sin. So then to conclude, what can we take away from this insightful conversation? And that is, don't, don't diminish the Spirit's work. Don't diminish the Spirit's work in your life. And how do you do that? Well, when you accept yourself as you are, when there are sinful patterns and habits and tendencies that you know need to change, but you stay defeated and remain as you are because maybe you simply accept that this part of your personality and that you can't change it. You diminish the Spirit's powerful work when you content yourself with only loving others to the bare minimum and nothing more. You, dis- you diminish the Spirit's work of regeneration in your life when you only settle for a little bit of knowledge of the Lord, when you were created with a capacity to know and take in a lot more. The day that you place your faith upon Jesus Christ, something changed, and what changed is you. The old person died. The new has come. You are no longer the same. God placed within you a new heart that has a greater capacity to love others and with a greater capacity to know the Lord. You were made for so much more than what you are or what you have right now. The Lord recreated you so that you will love others to a greater capacity so that others will know that you love them just as Christ loved you and died on the cross for you. The Lord remade you so that you will seek him, so you will know him more, and as a result, be filled with increasing love for the Lord. I may have said this before in a previous sermon, and I don't care if I said it before, I'm probably repeating myself, but... So, Jonathan Edwards once said that the difference between an unbeliever 
in a believer is that unbelievers do not pursue the kingdom. But for the believer, for the Christian, it is the chief business of the kingdom. It is the chief business of their life to pursue the kingdom. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And I think, I think Jesus is referring to the, the heart of the Christian. It's not that Christians pursue the kingdom using violent methods, but those who pursue the kingdom, they pursue it vigorously. That they don't settle for just the bare minimum. They don't just settle in their Christian walk, that they are always pursuing the kingdom. They're pursuing more and more of the kingdom. They're wanting to see the kingdom. They're pursuing joy in the kingdom. They love the kingdom. They want to grow more and more in love with the kingdom of God because they earnestly want to see it. And so they spend their lives pursuing the kingdom. And that's what the Spirit of God enables you to do to pursue the kingdom vigorously. Right, and that's part of the package, dude, that you receive the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is living in you. He lives in you, and you, and if you will work with Him, then He will continue to change you to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. If you will pray and plead like David did in Psalm 51, crying out for regeneration, and the Spirit of God will, will, recreate you and help you and continue to push you further and further to continue to pursue more of the kingdom. And the aim is not to become the best version of yourself. The aim is to spend your life becoming as Christ-like as possible. Because of the Spirit of God, you have power over your sin. Romans chapter 8 tells us that you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And even when we walk through difficult waters, you have peace because the Spirit of God is with you because you were reborn into a child of God. Right? We just saying earlier, have nothing to fear because you are a child of the living God. Because only the Spirit of God produces spiritual children and you are a spiritual child of the living God. Some people will pay money to listen to experts talk about topics and matters that are interest them. And here is a conversation that is of eternal significance, and we get to listen in for free. And that's because the free gift of eternal life cannot be earned or purchased, but is given to you through faith in Christ. And even that powerful, regenerating work of the Spirit of God can't be purchased. That's, even that's given to you for free. And so if you are here this morning and we're about to sing our last song and one way to respond is just to pray to the Lord. If you are struggling with a particular sin in your life, if you feel like in your life you've been, become stagnant in your Christian walk, you feel like you're not really pursuing the Lord, right? It's not, a, it's not I don't think it's maybe a, a question of whether or not you're a believer. Maybe you've just become just content in your walk with the Lord. You know, so if that's you, Take some time to pray to the Lord. Confess your sins to the Lord. Pray from your seat. Get on your knees or come to the altar. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'd be more than delighted to pray with you. But the point is, is that if you become stagnant in your walk or you are struggling with sins and you are not experiencing victory in that particular, a particular area in your life, that you pray to the Lord, that you believe in the Lord, that you believe in the Spirit of God working in you. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray.
Jesus, it is, uh, I just can't believe that, uh, that you give your spirit freely to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot even begin to comprehend just what this means, just the, the gravity of it. In a way, it would be easier for us to purchase it, but we can't, and you give it to us freely through your Son. We thank you for causing us to be born again, to become children of God, born again to this eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, and part of that work of the Spirit is to enable us and motivate us to pursue more of your kingdom, to pursue more of you in our lives, and even to pursue one another as you have pursued us through the cross. So I pray that you would help us to be people who run hard after you, that we will pursue you, that we will love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we will not settle but that we will seek to know you more, that we will seek greater and greater holiness in our lives because we want to be more like Christ and that we will also pursue one another, that we will love each other to a greater and greater capacity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.